Welcome to the Anthem Church Podcast. Our desire is to transform lives through authentic experiences with God and with people. This message is brought to you from Anthem Church in Fairview, Oregon. We pray you are encouraged, inspired, and strengthened through the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Miracles, man, I love it. Miracles and uh, and the this series this series came out of uh, a little bit of thought when you know when you think about the life of Jesus and you think about uh, when he walked on the earth, his life was just it was about constant miracles. I mean, everywhere he went. People were, were touched by his miracle working power, right? He raised the dead, he healed the sick, he, he caused you know, blind eyes to see, deaf ears to open. He uh, turned a kid's lunch into food for 5,000. Come on, that's a miracle. 12 baskets left over, right? He cast demons out of people who had been tormented by Satan for years. It was uh, just an amazing, he, listen, he, he caused a fish to swallow a coin and that very fish to swim to Peter's hook and hook itself on that uh, line so that Peter pulled it out, opened its mouth and could take the coin out. I mean, that's crazy. That's a miracle, right? But Jesus did it. His world, his world was about miracles. And the greatest miracle, of course, was on Resurrection Day when he, he predicts his own death and then rises from the, from the grave. And 500 eyewitnesses give testimony to that fact. And so it was a miracle. Jesus lived in a world of miracles. But miracles have been debated over the years. They've been a topic of a lot of debate. Are there miracles still happening today? Are they, you know, do supernatural things happen? And, and, uh, and there are people that, there are some people believe that the time of miracles ended, that it, there was a, just a season for it when Jesus, uh, uh, in the beginning of the church, when the apostles were around and then all that ended when the Bible was completed and compiled. Uh, uh, others have left their experience, determine what they believe about miracles. And, uh, but today, I want you to know, you are sitting in a church that believes in miracles, that believes in the God of miracles, little miracles, big miracles. We believe that nothing is impossible for God, amen? And that he still works miracles today, just as he did when he walked the earth, and he will continue to do that until Jesus comes back. Come on, can you put your hands together and give him some praise, amen? Hallelujah. And with that, let's get to our key Bible verse because we're all going to read this together. It's in Psalms 77, verse 14. Come on, let's read this together. Uh, on the count of three. One, two, three. You are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. That's so good. We need to do it again. Come on, ready? You are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. Come on, can you wrap your heart around that a little bit as we get started in this? That's incredible. I love this verse in Job chapter 5, verse 9. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit down very long here. Uh, uh, he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. Wow. 
Amen? Well, listen, I believe in miracles because I'm a living miracle. I'm a living miracle. I, I, I've experienced them in my life many times. I was talking to some folks after the service. We have a man in our, in our um, congregation. He was, he was unloading a truck. They were backing a semi into this, up to this loading dock, and it caught him and pinned him between, the, the driver didn't see him, and pinned him between the loading dock and the, the truck to about six inches and crushed everything in his abdomen and his hips and, and he should have died. They pulled the truck away and God did a miracle and he survived. It's just, and we were talking about that. I just, you know, I, I got lunch a couple days ago or a couple weeks ago, coffee with a guy who was telling me about, you know, the, the miracle of his healing, that they, the, 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 he had cancer. The doctor said they were gonna have to remove stuff from him and then we prayed and God, uh, he went for a second opinion, he went to to, uh, uh, another, another doctor and they took the, did all the same tests that the first doctor did and they came back and said all we see is scar tissue there's nothing there any longer you know the cancer is gone I personally experienced a miracle at 30 years old when, when, uh, when God healed me of a physical uh, issue in my back that, that it is an injury from, uh, from the uh, that I got on a farm when I was 13 years old growing up. I saw my father, a miracle. I saw my father come back to life after he dropped dead from a heart attack. My brother scooped him up, threw him in the back of a car, drove for 20 minutes to the hospital. And in the hospital room, they, the ER, they, were, they got his heart beating again 20 minutes later. And he told the story of his experience when, in heaven. And he lived 19 more years. I've seen miracles. I've, ex I've, I've experienced them. But I think the greatest miracle I ever experienced was a miracle that happened you know, even I think before I was a true believer, well, I believed in God. I, I you know, grew up in a, in a religious home, but I, I, my picture of God was that he was up there with a big fly swatter waiting for me to make a mistake and was going to pound me into the, you know, to the underworld till I made up for all my mistakes. Amen. So my, my concept, my idea was he was an angry God. And, uh, but, you know, when I uh, experienced this miracle, I realized that God was really leading me towards himself in a big way. Like I said before, I was a true believer. But it, it, and here's what happened. My little brother was about eight or nine years old, and he wanted to go to this little country store that was about three miles away. We lived in the country. This little town was, I mean, if you winked or if you blinked, you'd miss it, right? And there was a little country store there, and he wanted to go to the store, and so he was putting up a fuss. So my mom says, Brad, you take him. I'm going, oh, you know, like... You want to take your little brother to go to the store. So we, we, I decide I'm not going to take the roads. I'm going to go through our, our, our land and then across the neighbor farm. And then we'd get there and take some shortcuts, right? So that's what we did. So we go down, we take the shortcuts. We walk through this 20-acre field and we come back. And when we get back, we walk in the house and my mom says to my little brother, where's your glasses? Where's your glasses? And he goes in this little whiny voice. <laughs> he, he's a lot bigger than me now. He'd probably be upset if I, when he hears this. But, uh, and he says, well, Brad was walking too fa so fast. I dropped my glasses and I couldn't stop to grab them. And, and I don't know where they are. I lost them somewhere. 
And my, my mom gave me that look, you know, have you ever got a look from your mom that kind of burns two holes right through you? And she says, you're going to go back, retrace your steps, and you're going to find those glasses. And I'm going, are you kidding me? And she goes, right now. So out the door I go, thinking I'm going to cover three miles there and back, uh, try to uh, find these glasses. So I'm walking out through the garden, through our little pasture, down through the a ravine, cross the brook, up the other side, through another pasture, into the other farmer's field, and through, and I'm about halfway through this 20-acre field, uh, that grass up to my knees, and I get, I'm feeling more and more hopeless as the moments go on, just like I'm getting sicker and sicker. I don't want to go home. I know what I'm going to face. You know, I'm thinking there is no way I'm going to find these. And so I look up to heaven. I just stopped and I looked up in the sky and I said, God, if you're there, you got to help me. I need you to help me find those glasses. And God is my witness. As I look down into the path in front of me, to where I was going to take my next step, right there in the grass were those glasses sitting right in front of me. And I reached down, I picked them up, and I took them home. And it was, it was a miracle. I mean, how in the world? It never, I mean, if you had run the statistics on that or run the, the chances of that, it was a one and probably several million chance that I'd find those glasses a miracle. And, uh, and I was never the same from that day on because I knew God had done a miracle for me. And maybe you're here today and you go, man, I wish God would do a miracle for me. Or maybe you'd say it's been a long time since God sent a miracle my way. Or maybe you've been waiting for a miracle in your marriage. Or maybe it's a family relationship that's gone sour and been broken. Or maybe it's a child that is in some desperate, you know, challenges. Or maybe that's making poor decisions. Or perhaps... Your career or the job that you're in is just unfulfilling and lackluster and you need God to do something miraculous. You know, you're in the right place today because we've all been there. We've all experienced those moments where we say, God, we need, I need you to show up. We need you a miracle here. And that's where the people were today in our story, in the scripture, in the Bible, in, in the book of John. It's in John 11, and Mary and uh, uh, Martha, who are dear friends of Jesus, they contact him, and they said, told him, hey, we need a, they told him they needed a miracle. And let's read it in John 11, starting with verse 1. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick, and uh, he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his hair, his feet with her hair. I want to stop right there. You know, Lazarus was sick. And, uh, and I, let me, can I ask you a question? How many of you would like to have a miracle? Would like to have a miracle or need a miracle or know somebody needs a miracle? How many would like to experience a miracle? Come on. Uh, you, you have to be, you know, you need both hands up because I, I know everybody would want to see one. But here's the, 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 the difficulty with a miracle, right? is that the first thing we read is now a man named Lazarus was sick. There, there was a problem there. 
And you know, a lot of people want a miracle, but they don't want the problem that, that comes with it, right? Because a miracle is always a solution to a problem, right? And, and so you go, well, how many want a problem? You know, it's like, no, I don't, you know, sit on your hands, right? Well, problems are the fertile soil that miracles grow from. And you can't have a miracle unless you got a problem. So listen, all God's children got problems, right? <laughs> So we're in a good place. Amen. All right. So, uh, you know, so let's go on there. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, can we stop right there again? This is interesting to me as I read it. The one you love is sick. Because in my mind, I would have thought that she would have said, the one that loves you is sick, right? I mean, because that's how we often think. It's, it's about us and how we love God that, and how much we're committed to him and, and how well we perform that it, or, or what kind of person we are, how good we are, is that kind of qualifies us for a miracle. But it's not that way. Mary, the, the, the ladies reminded Jesus, the one that you love. Because let me just say something right here, okay? What moves God is not your need. What moves God is his heart. God's heart, he loves you. And it's God's heart that moves God to action. Not your performance, not how, you know, how much you love him, okay? It's his own heart that moves him because he loves you. I love, I, that, you got to capture that. And, and when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Every miracle has a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God and to glorify the name of Jesus. Amen. It wasn't just about a sick man getting well. It was about a miracle that would glorify the Son of God and glorify God. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it because God is a God of miracles. Are you with me? So Jesus then does something that is a little bit different. Uh, and something that I, you know, is a little confusing at this point, because instead of going on and, and uh, you know, getting up and hearing his, his, you know, his friend is sick, I'm going to go to them. Instead, he stays for two days, verse six. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there where he was for two more days. And, you know, a lot of times when we're looking for a miracle and needing God to come to our aid, we pray, and it seems like God just isn't interested. How many have ever felt that way? Or he's not interested in coming to take care of what's going on, and we start thinking to ourselves, that, or, you know, or maybe you've prayed this way. I know I've prayed this prayer. God, listen, God, listen, this is a situation that if you take care of it, I mean, this is going to get you a lot of good press. I mean, this is going to, this is a miracle that could, would be really good for your reputation. People would hear about this miracle and, 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 and you'd get all the glory. This is a real good opportunity for you, God. Anybody who ever prayed that kind of prayer, you know? And still there's no movement. There's no action. Nothing happened. And I know I've been there. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, what happens? Jesus 
finally decides to start their journey and he, and he heads off and he starts going to, down to that place and he explains to the disciples that, that uh, you know, that, that he's fallen asleep and, and the disciples think, well, Jesus is talking about if he's asleep, then he's going to wake up. But Jesus was not talking about him, uh, about him falling asleep in the way that we think. He was talking about him falling asleep in death. And, uh, and listen, I think there's some things that we can get caught up in when we're looking for a miracle that kind of kill the miracle power and kind of take us off, off line when, when it went, when, and uh, keep us from stepping into that miracle. I call them the, the, the traps of death because they're the ones that'll keep us dead, right? Keep us trapped in death. And, uh, and I put three things in your notes that I think really are kind of like uh, traps of death. And they're kind of like, uh, how many have ever seen the Venus flytrap? We got that picture, you know, a Venus flytrap. You know what that is, right? Uh, it's that, you know, it's that thing that looks like, uh, is it up there? There, yeah, there it is. And you can see that enticing little red area inside there is, uh, there's some little hairs that are kind of, you, you barely see them and they're imperceivable. But when an insect flies in there and touches one of those things, man, that thing just snaps shut and the death process begins for that insect. And I think when, you know, we fall prey to some of these things, that's when the death, you know, the death, uh, we fall prey to it and the death process begins in our, in our own life. And the disciples fell into those traps. The first one was that they didn't understand how God was working. And, and I think that off, that's a trap for us. We don't understand how God works. Because, you know, Jesus was talking about the death of, the, the, uh, of, of uh, Lazarus. The disciples saw only the natural part. And, and Jesus then goes on to explain to them, no, Lazarus is dead. And, and it just kind of, they don't understand. And often we don't understand what God is doing. We see the natural side, but God was up to something different that would give him glory. And I can't tell you how many times I was looking one way for a miracle and then God did something else quite different. And it just reminds me of that, again, of that verse in Job where it says, he does wonders that cannot be fathomed. Okay, they cannot be comprehended, cannot be understanded, understood. So there oftentimes we don't understand what God is doing, okay, or what he's up to. And then here's the second trap that we can fall into, that we get consumed with doubt. Because we're looking at something that is natural and the things that we can see, uh, we get caught up in this doubt. And uh, what we didn't read in, about Jesus and about the situation is that he had, he had just been in Bethany a while back with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He had just been with him, and he, the religious leaders had gotten real angry with him. In fact, they threatened to kill him, right? And so Mary and Martha call him back into this place, and he decides to go. And when we need a miracle, often we don't want to go towards those danger, towards something more dangerous. We want to move towards a miracle, towards something that is, you know, positive. And that's when we don't see something happen. That's when doubt begins to consume. And look what happens when doubt begins to speak in verse 16. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
So Thomas is thinking, this, you know, he's going to go back there. The leaders are going to kill him. And, and he's thinking, you know, there, there's a reason this guy is named, nicknamed Doubting Thomas, right? This is the guy. Because in his mind, Lazarus is going to die. Jesus is going to die. We're all going to die. <laughs> you know, know anybody like that? We're all going down, like Ehor in Winnie the Pooh, right? The world's always a dark cloud, right? How many know people like that? How many wish you didn't know people like that? Oh, no, don't raise your hands, okay. And <laughs> I try to stay away from them. Uh, and here's the last death trap we can get caught in. We give up on God. We just end up giving up on God. Look what happens when they get to Mary and Martha's house, right? Uh, uh, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. A couple things I want to look at here. First of all, you know, the Jewish, uh, the Talmud teaches and it's, it's Jewish thought that the spirit of a body or of a spirit of a person will hover over their dead body for three days, okay, before it ascends into the, goes into the afterlife. That was, that's a, the Talmud spoke of that and, and it's, a, it's a thought in the Jewish world. So that this is what they thought also, that this, the, the spirit of Lazarus would hover over his body for three days. But the truth is, he'd been in the tomb, how many? Four days. He was four days dead, right? So when Jesus was arrived and he's four days dead, I mean, it's over, right? There's no more hope. And that's why Mary, she doesn't even come out to greet Mary, greet, greet Jesus. She's, she's like, well, you know, Martha comes out, but Mary says, you know, what's the use? It's, he's four days dead. And she'd given up on Jesus. She'd given up on God. And I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you, you know, your, your situation just crossed the hopeless barrier, right? And you just said, well, that, it's over. It's beyond the point of return. What's done is done. That's where Mary was. Maybe you got the doctor, maybe you got the doctor report, right? And it says your situation is four days dead, right? Or you look at your marriage and all you can see is four days dead. That college degree you were hoping for is saying, four days dead. Your child's situation is screaming at you. Come on, what? Four days dead. And uh, in a world, and we live in a world where, you know, circumstances and situation, and the only thing we can see in the natural is four days dead. And Jesus, only Jesus didn't see it that way. Everybody around him was thinking, oh, that, that's four days dead. It's over. But he, and I want to tell you something. This is the word that God has for you. If that's your situation, maybe you're feeling like, man, it's all four days dead. Listen, here's the word that God brought you here to hear. Jesus said it. He said, this sickness is not, is not going to end in death. This, your situation is not going to end in death. Even though it may seem four days dead, hear the word of the Lord today. Death is not final.
And that's why I named this message, Death is Not Final, because it's never final. So what is it in your life that you're facing that is dead or dying? Well, listen, it's time to identify it, to speak over it and declare this is not, will not end in death. Come on, are you with me? And here's how you start moving towards that miracle in your life, okay? I'm going to give you three steps. It starts with this verse. In, in, in chapter, or verse 25, Jesus said to her, he's saying this to Martha. She's come out and to meet him. And she, he says to her, I am the resurrection in life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me, he will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Obviously, Mary, you know, she's at the house. She isn't in, even a part of the conversation. Why? She hasn't. Martha really is the only one who is really kind of still holding on to hope. She goes out there. She's still holding on to this. And we know that she's holding on this because she, she, uh, it, 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 it leads us to this first thing that you have to do in order to really step into your miracle. And here it is. You have to settle in your heart who Jesus is. Do you believe this? Do you believe in who he is, okay? Do you believe what he said and who he is? And, and I love this, what Martha's response in, in verse 27. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. Listen, at that point, she made a powerful confession. She said, you are the Christ. The, it, it's Christos in Greek. You are the anointed one. It literally means that you are the one who has power over all things. You have power over every situation and over every circumstance. He is the one that has power over every situation and every circumstance you face. Come on, are you with me? Are you capturing this? That's why he's the Christ, right? And, and Martha, prior to that, she said to Jesus, if you were, had been here, my brother would not have die, died. But I know, but I know. And, and if you got that in your notes, you need to underline that in, in verse 21. But I know, and even now, God, that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She was convinced. She was convinced, settled in her heart. She knew who Jesus was, the one who had power to do the impossible. You're the anointed one of God. It was settled in her heart. And folks, if we're going to receive the miracles that God wants for our life, it has to be settled in our heart who Jesus really is. It had been settled in her heart. Now, even though the outcome was not what she wanted. She still believed who he and who he was. Amen. Did did she want her brother to die? No. No, she didn't want. She wanted a different outcome. But you know, here's what I what I believe often happens. That as believers, we have this expectation of God. And we have this expectation of how God is going to work. And we say, God, you know, we're, we're expecting you to do this. But when we have our set of expectations, you know what it does? It puts God into this little box of how he needs to operate. This is our expectation, God, that you're going to do this. And this is going to be the end. And this is the outcome that we're expecting. But Martha didn't have an expectation. She had expectancy. And an expectancy about God, 
okay? And there's a big difference between an expectancy and expectation. Because when you have an expectation, it's, it, it's, you know, it's about the outcome, but when you have an expect, expectancy, you're not a, it's not about the outcome, you have an expectancy in the God who controls the outcome. Come on, are you following that with me? And that's a big difference, amen? And so it's so important for us to, to, uh, to have faith, not in the outcome, but in the one who holds the outcome. Amen? Are you getting this? It's the first key to our miracle. So folks, we have to settle in our heart who Jesus is. He is the all-powerful God, able to do the impossible even after it's all over. Amen? So we need to confess that. And when we do, we, then, it, then we have to confess that all things are possible, that we're never going to give up, that we're never going to stop hoping. We're going to keep believing no matter what the situation looks like. Are you hearing me? Amen. Here's the second thing. To get your miracle first, you have to settle in your heart who Jesus is. He is the Christ. He's the all-powerful one over every circumstance, every situation. And then secondly, we have to stop analyzing everything. Just stop analyzing it. You know, people try to figure out, if you're like me, I try to figure things out, right? I, want, I, I try to analyze a situation and I, and I go, you know, I put the, start lining things up and figure out this is the way, you know, it, it needs to all happen and, and I can see a plan and, and I'm convinced that certain things need to happen in just a certain way, but faith doesn't, you know, work with our minds sometimes so well, okay? And in verse 38, we can, we can get a picture of this. Look at, the, they'll put it up on the screen. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he says, take away the stone. But, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. He is four days dead, Jesus. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? Because listen, you know, scientifically speaking now, you know, after a, a few hours, the body starts, as soon as death happens, the body starts to decompose. And now, you know, after four days, whoo, it's going to be ripe in there. It's going to be terrible, right? It's like that rat stuck in my furnace duct, right? And Jesus, you don't want to go there, man. The, this situation just stinks, right? <laughs> And that's often what we think about our own situation, right? We start to analyze what's going on and come into our own conclusions based on what we see and what the natural world would say. And uh, listen, I'm just going to tell you, stop it. Stop it. Because the, when you analyze it, you put a limitation on it, right? And Jesus had already said, this sickness will not end in death. And folks, your situation will not end in death either. Amen? He didn't ask them if they thought about the... He didn't ask them what they thought about the situation. He asked them if they believed. Come on, are you with me? It's not about what you think about a situation. It's whether or not you believe. And when God promises life and life more abundantly, he means it. And he's going to bring it. Amen? And here's the last key to your, get your miracle. First, we have to settle in our heart who Jesus is. Secondly, we have to stop analyzing everything. And then third, we have to start living again. 
Start living again. I love this. Jesus called in a loud voice, verse 43, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, all Jesus told them their right to do is to, to move the stone. You just move the stone. He didn't tell them to go in and get the body. I'm going to raise him up. He said, just move away the stone. And then he called to Lazarus. And, and, and I think what he was showing us there is that there's a choice here. There's a choice to be made here. A choice for all of us to make. And I think Lazarus had a choice, you know, a choice to, instead of believing what I see, I'll choose to believe what Jesus said. And Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out of there. And, and listen, I think that the choice was Lazarus's, whether or not he was going to come out or whether he was going to stay in. I think he was, you know, Lazarus had a choice to make, whether he was going to be defined by death or he was going to be defined by life. Are you following me? And we have a choice to make when we're facing our situations. Are we going to be defined by death? Or are we going to be defined by life? We have a choice. That choice is simply, am I going to believe what I see and choose death? Or am I going to believe what Jesus said and choose life? Because we will be defined by that choice. And folks, we have to choose to start living again and say, I'm going to be defined by life. My good friend, Billy Hornsby and his wife, now she was diagnosed with cancer at 21 years old. Cancer. Mesestatized cancer all throughout her body. And they were, the doctors were treating her. And, and uh, you know, they were just married, newly married. And they were just broken by this report. And so they go to the doctor, and the doctor tells them this. It's all through. It's in their kidney. It's in the liver. It's in the lungs. It's everywhere. And Billy looked at, Billy looked at his wife whoop, and said, listen, we're, going to, we're not going to choose how we're going to die. But from this day on, we're going to choose how we're going to live. We're going to choose to be defined by life. Do you know they lived until their 60s, both of them? And they both went home to be with Jesus within a year of each other. Guess what? From cancer. But you know what Billy said to me? He said, Brother Brad, the good old Cajun boy, Louisiana. Brother Brad, you tell them this stuff works. We chose life and life works. I'm telling you, you, we can be defined by death. We, we can be defined by, by believing the things that we see. Or we can be defined by life by choosing to believe what Jesus said. You know, when I received my miracle of healing, I remember the day that everything changed. And guess what? It wasn't the day that I got healed. I mean, I, I had read that nothing is impossible for God. I'd heard about healing meetings. I thought, in my own mind, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to a meeting, and the man of God or the woman of God is going to lay hands on me. They're going to anoint me with oil, and the power of God is going to come. You know, fireballs are going to be coming off their fingertips, and I'm going to be, bam, it's going to hit me, and I'm going to go down, and I'm going to come up healed. 
Didn't happen that way. Didn't happen at all. Didn't happen the way I thought it was going to. One day I was cleaning out my desk, just, you know, kind of getting all the junk out of there. And way in the back in my middle drawer, I found this track. And it just had one word on it, it said healing. And I started reading that little track and I read a Bible verse that I'd read many times before, but all that day, I believed what it said. It got into my heart, amen? And it settled in my heart who Jesus was, that he was the Christ. And I put, quit putting God in a box regarding the who, what, where, when, how of my miracle. And I just said, God, I choose life. I choose to believe you. And, and I'll tell you, within, I, it was within weeks, within weeks. It wasn't like, within weeks, I'm standing on the stage playing guitar in a worship band, and God touches my body. I didn't even feel it. Nothing happened to me. I didn't, you know, go down under the power. I just walked off the stage, sat down in my chair, got up again, sat down again, got up again, and realized there's no pain, which I hadn't been able to do for 17 years, standing up without pain. Come on, everybody. You know, God is a God of miracles. Let's not be defined by those things. Let's not, let's begin to have an expectancy, not in the outcome, but an expectancy in the one who controls the outcome. And he is here right now, right here, to help you whatever your situation, circumstance is. Come, I want to pray for you that God would reveal himself to you in a fresh way and that settle in your heart forever who he is, that you'd quit analyzing and that you'd choose life today. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We are located at 1415 Northeast 223rd Avenue in Fairview, Oregon. You can find us online at www.anthemfamily.org and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at My Anthem Family. God bless.